Hello everyone, Future Dave here. Just to let you know, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash emnetwork. We really appreciate all your support, and we hope to see you with more episodes in the future. Now on with the show. Welcome everyone to Exo Friends, uh, the Exo Squad podcast. Uh, this is episode five, talking about episode five of Exo Squad: Fall of the Human Empire, Resist. I am David Hoyt, and I am joined by Kevin Fashami and Lexi DeConing. And I would like to say I got myself an Exo Squad haircut this week. Heck yeah! Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like well, one of the ones where it's like just a mullet and like a little tuft of hair at the front. And no, it's not. <laughs> it's just <laughs> an undercut, but it's exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I got myself an Exosquad haircut. I, I've just shaved my head like a Neosapien. <laughs> Actually, and you're, you're not... painting your like brood mark on your forehead now too? I should do that. What would my brood mark? Uh, I, I, I never figured out if there was a rhyme or reason behind their brood marks. Like, I... there's got to be... I was paying attention while we were watching the season and I did not, they mentioned it a few times, but like, it's not really clear how they work or what they are or how they're assigned a brood mark. Who knows? I don't know. Mysteries of the universe. Squad lore. Yeah. Well, anyways, so, uh, (laughs) episode, episode five resist. Um, I they start out as usual with the with the recap with that kind of newsreel feel to it with the gr- grittier uh, animation and I actually think this time it worked really well because of the footage they were showing because it was wartime footage and like refugees and everything like that and it just had it had the right feel to it this time right right and it's like a nice transition to the opening of the episode too because it like ends on like a scene of that space battle and it transitions directly into the episode with that same space battle. Nice little transition. Yeah. And this, this episode is a lot of space battling and it's really good too. Um, We're we're going, we're going right into it where the last episode ended with JT being escorted to his execution at, at the worst possible time. Right. And, uh, uh, they get attacked by the Neo Sapiens because they knew they were coming, and it the Exofleet just starts getting devastated, right? Yeah, yeah. I just remember the first like I don't know. It felt like five minutes. It probably was only two, but the first five minutes of that episode was literally just things flying around, and then a lot of like pink and blue lasers flying back and forth, like pew 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 pew. Um, <laughs> Which, again, I have to admit, like, I struggle sometimes. My brain, like, is not made to process these things. But it was very action-packed and exciting. (laughs) 
and like a couple things about about this space battle i don't know why it struck me but like every time they zoomed into a person who was in like a capital ship turret they always looked really weird to me like their bodies were just a little too contorted in the yes. chairs they were in right like that weird guy in that strange like periscope gun that pops out at one point and is like looking around yeah. and he's got like a weird smile on his face and everything too yeah, and and like it seems it seems weird to me that you would even put the person there in the first place. Right. Yeah. Because like why why would you put your turret gunner that close to, you know, being shot out into space if the turret gets shot? Or why isn't there just like a room full of people on monitors controlling their own guns individually? Right. Surely it, they have remote control technology. It's probably a remnant of Star Wars. Because, like, that classic scene in the Millennium Falcon where they're playing, like, that really retro-looking, well, back then I guess it wasn't retro, but that really retro-looking video game where they have to line up the TIE fighter in the uh, in the sights of the gun before they fire. I feel like it's, it, this was based on that. Uh, but other things, other things that happen in this in this space battle, you see Lynetti again. I know everyone's been hearing us talk about her and her little her little when she just pops up every now and then uh she she she's it looks like she's getting better at her job at this point but she does this really weird move where she like grapple hooks onto a neo sapien and then punches them with her barrel arm. Right. Like, why, <laughs> why did you have to draw them close and punch them why couldn't you just shoot them is that it's, it's like a better plan because that, that wouldn't be anywhere near his boss <laughs> She wanted them to see her the look of rage in her eyes. <laughs> Fucking sape. Right. Hang on, so is that Alice we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because, yeah. yeah, we were trying to figure out if that was her when we rewatched this. And... It, de- it definitely is. I, I'm almost 100% certain it is. Okay. Because uh, it's also the only other pilot that they've shown in more than one episode that isn't in Able Squad. Yeah. Right. But at this point, she isn't named. If I remember correctly, yeah, she's not. right? Like, you just, you might recognize her face if you've been watching uh, mostly. Yeah. Uh, and and the, a couple, this, some of the things that happened in this scene remind me of like video games that came out in the same year that Exosquad did, like X Wing and Wing Commander 3, where like the idea of having a, like a space fighter fly around and blow up parts of a ship like turrets and engines and things like that that was one of the first times that was introduced in the space flight sims and it made them that much cooler back then at least i thought i don't know if you i don't know if either of you ever played those games x-wing versus tie fighter yeah i remember that was like one of the kind of fun appeals of it was like you know just like circling a star destroyer and like slowly crippling it yeah and and so uh that was the last game in that series. There was X-Wing, there was TIE Fighter, and then there was X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. And all three of them were very good games. At least at least I thought they were back then. Um, and I even say in the notes, this is this feels like the video game the Exo Squad video game I've always wanted to play instead of that crappy Genesis one <laughs> game. Which we should we should we should figure out how how, if any way we wanna we wanna maybe stream that yes. uh, later on. And see, because it is, it is, um, 16-bit perfection. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, we should of, all of play that together. Squad. Yeah. Uh, Phaeton, <laughs> Phaeton loves this, right? He's, he is, 
he is just like, I'm going to win. There's no way I can lose right now. And were it not for Able Squad, he'd probably be right. Yeah. yeah. This is his destiny, uh, man. It is his destiny. The mm-hmm. Neo Sapien, the Neo Sapien destiny. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, realis- realistically, if they could, if they weren't uh, held back by having to breed, by having to breed in vats, they probably would replace humans over time because they're superior, right? Right. Yeah, and they live longer. We have <laughs> more kids if you lived like you know an extra fifty to hundred years. Right. Ooh, there's there's part of your new reboot, right? Yeah. They they get they get to Mars and Venus, but I guess because I guess if the I guess if you're able to terraform a planet, you can get over global warming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, there goes Craig. Hi, Craig. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not not give it up on it. Um, the uh, if if Neo Sapiens existed now, with our inevitable climate change destruction on the horizon, they would they would survive. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. I assume they would. Because if they can survive Mars, they can survive right. the the flooded hellscape of Earth that that Earth will become. Which does beg kind of the question though: it's like they're enormous, which you would assume they'd need like a lot more food. And Mars is, but Mars is pretty barren, so like I don't know, maybe they do they just eat like simpler stuff than we do, or like somehow like retain all that mass? Yeah, they're just like sitting around eating rocks in the cafeteria on Mars. Like, so I think you got a few options, dogs. right? Right. You, they they either eat rocks, um, survive on only water, or are sun powered. Could be. I'd be interesting. They're like little plants, like you know, just like go spend some time out in the sun, and they're feeling great. Oh, yeah. don't we see Marsala eating in the mess hall with Exo Squad a couple of times? I feel like. Yeah, we do see them eat, but I feel like it's. He doesn't have to eat food like that. I feel like he's doing it more for a camaraderie purpose, and maybe they do have taste buds. He's I like, would uh, he's granted like, them that one single boon that they can taste things. He's like a vampire; he just does it for fun, but he doesn't really need to. Yeah, like I don't need to eat these vegetables, but you humans seem to do it, and it seems quaint. <laughs> it's like yeah, we're building camaraderie too. Like, so just sitting here, like basking in the sun, he's like eating with his teammates. That leads me to a shower thought question that I had the other day <laughs> after, as, as, as I was thinking about recording this episode. Do we ever see a Neo-Sapien go to the bathroom? Not once. Uh, Not. Do we ever see anyone go to the bathroom in this show? I mean, it's kind of well, you, television. You, you, know, you, know, you know Brodsky does, because he sli- he's pretended to slip in the shower that one time. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm thinking about it. Like Maybe Neo-Sapiens don't get rid of their uh food waste or their nutrition waste like humans do you know how you know how like one of the ways you lose weight is like when you're losing weight you actually breathe the lipids out yeah maybe Hmm. they maybe they just have a much better version of that where (laughs) (laughs) like constantly breathing out like whatever waste product they have from the from the nutrients that they consume or maybe they're just so efficient that they never make waste they're like dennis reynolds and it's always sunny <laughs> they just like are absorbing all their nutrients perfectly <laughs> yeah perfect 
They're the perfect engines. <laughs> I mean, it has to go. It, they have to breathe out something eventually, or maybe they just like every like once a night while they're sleeping, or maybe they're in like revelry, like D and D elves. Yeah, they like a little, a little just like sphincter comes out of their shoulder and just like shoots stuff out of it. <laughs> it's like just like, like it's just like a little bit of just gas that just comes <laughs> out. <laughs> but it's pleasant smelling. <laughs> it's pleasant smelling. It's like oh, he thinks his parts don't stink. He's like JT. I'm a Neosapien. Of course my farts don't stink. <laughs> they smell like bakery fresh cinnamon rolls. <laughs> All right. I mean, if you're going to engineer a race of people, like, you might as well. Like, If we can make people, we can make magic farts. I'm sure. Right? Uh, <laughs> but it, so, so JT is saved by Able Squad and Bronski belches. I, it's, it's his modus operandi. Um, and while this is happening... Uh, the Resolute is taking a lot of fire. Like they are, they're getting pounded. And uh, Able Squad, said, Able Squad decides that they've got to, they've got to get out there. Which, why hasn't Marcus launched any E frames? You brought, they specifically pointed out that the only things that would be able to keep up are the exocarriers full of E frames. Right. <laughs> this, this has come up before though, but like he has this weird like hatred of e-frames or thing i don't know i'm like did an e-frame kill his mother when he was a child or <laughs> did someone who flew an e-frame like break up with him when he was a teenager because he just he has like a i don't know like a constant bias against the e-frames for whatever reason it's like it's that sort of i feel like it's that again that sort of world war ii parallel in this show where it's like that that's the transition away from capital ships and towards aircraft carriers is World War II. And like there was like an old guard and old not just the US Navy, but a lot of navies that were like still clinging to the notion of capital ships as the important thing. And I wonder if for him it's like, oh, it's the fight's the awesome firepower of the ships. You know, it's that sort of like hyper masculine, like big guns gets it done sort of attitude. And then, you know, it's like it's actually no, it's exoframes or E frames yeah. or whatever. That's like the the kind of new trend in warfare because they're still like comparatively new right like they were only kind of launched during the rebellion which would have been only 50 years prior to the show that yeah that is the impression you get from the from the opening of the show is that the neo the first neo sapien uprising was the introduction of exa e-frames into um warfare because that's what really brought the hammer down on the neo sapiens and they couldn't compete with it because all they had were mining guns right and you know marcus might be like old school um it's not i don't know how old he is if he's like old enough to have been around in the rebellion like some of the other senior staff but like at the same time you know maybe he's just kind of brought up in that old school way of thinking of like the big ships are what are the core of the of the exo fleet yeah for sure um it, but I mean, you see how well the Neo Sapiens are using their E-frames because they're they're doing things like flying up the torpedo tubes and shooting inside the ship and causing an entire capital ship to explode with one E-frame. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's always that last. It's always that last bullet that makes that makes the most difference. Um, and it's just like what. I don't know. It's just another another instance of like how the only reason Marcus should be in this position is because he knew someone. Right. He's so right. fucking bad at his job. Yeah. Uh, well, he's the the. 
Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just saying, he's just like a peacetime officer, right? Like, he's, you know, just someone who's, like, kind of raised the, you know, risen through the ranks during a time of peace and, like, really ever, like, you know, fought in anything, hasn't ever really been tested or tried or any of that sort of stuff. And, like, now that he is, he's just making a cock up of it. You know what I could actually see? Um, in the, you know, that kind of that kind of trope of the lone surviving soldier. Like, there was some super important mission, right? And Marcus was in some squad, and by some happenstance, like, he was probably hiding behind a rock in terror. Uh, the rest of the squad went to pull off the mission, but they all died, and he was found as the only survivor. And so <laughs> everyone, like, he probably got, like, a Medal of Honor and got promoted and shit, and he's just like, I'm way out of my depth here. But he never said anything, so he just kept going up and up and up in the ranks. <laughs> I mean, could be, yeah. That's what that's my new headcanon for Marcus. He's actually just a giant coward. But uh <laughs> I mean, it kind of works, yeah. 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 Um so uh it, like I said, JT JT gets rescued by Able Squad. Uh they stun all the guards who are taking him to his execution and they go to their hangar, because at this point they're mutineers. Who gives a fuck? And they launch without anyone's permission. And Marcus is like, "What the hell are they doing out there?" I think I think someone says the hangar's open, and he asks if it got hit, right. which would be terrible, right? Because all the people in that hangar would die if that was the case. Right. Unless they've got like the Star Trek immediate force field to hold up the, excuse me, to hold up the uh, hold up the integrity of the of whatever vacuums is being created. Although I don't think we ever see any technology like that. They so never really get into, cause like there are times though where it's like, Oh, this hangar door opens and there's like just people in there anyway. Like, like when, uh, Linetti's, um, I, I can't remember if that happened earlier in the scene or not. I think it happened earlier in the episode, but when her, uh, E-frame gets hit and she flies in and crash lands in one of the, uh, hangers and somebody runs over and like, sprays it down it's like she just flies in through an open door and this guy's just like hanging out in the hangar so there's some there's some yeah. kind of something at play there that keeps the vacuum out i mean it's probably it's probably just an oversight of the writers but still yeah, it's sci-fi it's like whatever yeah. yeah maybe they were just like you know what kids don't fucking care no one's they're not gonna notice <laughs> they just want to see no. pink and blue lasers going back and forth and cool machines fighting it out like no one's but now those kids are nearly 40 years old and we need these answers <laughs> yeah <laughs> now I'm paying making attention. Making a fucking podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. You write a strongly worded letter to Universal Animation <laughs> Studios, be like, "This doesn't make any sense. You're teaching children bad, bad science." Right. Right. Oh, this is like where I want like a you know a modern remake of this show, so that we can have these important questions answered. Like, how did they keep the vacuum of space out of these hangars? I need to know. The most. The most important one of those questions is how does Maggie survive in space without a canopy to her ether? <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, that's whatever. I can imagine she's just like, you know, naturally talented or something. That's fine. She's just holding her breath. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> she's, just really, she's like the champion. The, the exo fleet's like champion at like holding breath, like beating everybody else. I'm sure someone is going to point out that holding your breath doesn't work in outer space. No, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, the, they go on this little tangent where one of the capital ships, the Borealis, uh, is getting, is being targeted by the Neo-Sapiens 
and Marcus moves the resolute in front of it to block the fire, which I just said Marcus is a coward, but that's actually kind of a brave move right there. Is it a smart move, though? Yeah. I don't know. So maybe not a coward, but he's definitely dumb. Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a He's brave but stupid. Right. Um, and it, I think it, it might be a smart move because we've seen the Resolute take so much damage at this point that it's obviously tougher than the rest of the ships, which makes sense for a flagship, right? right? Yeah. It's like the pirate flagship. There's some we can't penetrate it with this with these weapons. Why do we make all the ships out of this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. So Able Squad launches, and Marcus is like, what are you doing out there? And JT basically bullies Marcus over the radio to be like, this is what we're doing. Stop asking questions. And conveniently, Winfield is wheeled onto the bridge by his Neosapien nurse at this moment. And it's just like, sit the fuck down, Marcus. <laughs> the, the adults are talking now. Right. The nurse also looks um, thoroughly unimpressed, like just her facial expression over kind of Winfield's shoulder, she nurses him in, like, pushes him in the wheelchair. Uh, I don't know, it's just like a little detail, but she was just like, ugh. <laughs> right. Towards Marcus. Is it, is, it the Eng- is it the English patient with the, with, where the, uh, oh, I guess it's a lot of movies, where the uh, soldier falls in love with the nurse? Yeah. Where's, where's my Winfield Neosapien nurse ship? Damn, yeah, Ooh. that would be awesome. Ooh. Like, again, remake, so we can have this, like, kind of <laughs> stirring inter- interracial romance. Interspecies some... romance, even. <laughs> we need some slash fiction. Yeah. We do. We do. <laughs> sure. There's got to be some Winfield uh, nurse slash out there. Come on. She she slipped on her special Neosapien-sized latex gloves, snapped snapped the snapped the corner, and looked at Winfield lovingly. <laughs> Don't worry. My hands are large. <laughs> but gentle. <laughs> he was into it. He never knew. Oh man! If you're out there listening, like you're not tasked, fans, with reading this, Winfield. <laughs> this this, this needs to this needs to become slash fiction, like those uh, dinosaur sex books. Yes, that sell on Amazon. <laughs> a T Rex turned me gay. Yeah, <laughs> a ravaged by a raptor. Whole, there are so there. There's a whole series of those. I think there's like twenty or thirty of them now, and they're all by one dude. Yeah, which is the best. Like, yeah. Way, way to go him he found his niche i know i mean well it's you know you gotta have you gotta have everything i guess it takes all kinds right yep yeah uh sorry i got lost <laughs> in my notes <laughs> oh yeah got lost uh, in some well, dinosaur porn um i'm just wistfully looking away imagining my raptor lover uh <laughs> The, <laughs> but it, while JT and Winfield are talking, like they're being a little glib and joking around, but you actually kind of get the sense like they're really fucked here if something if they don't do something to get away, and that leads JT to come up with this plan. You know, give me all the E frames, and I'm gonna distract the Neo Sapiens while you get the hell out of here. And uh, so he gets he gets two or three other squads to come with him after Winfield approves the plan and they go after the Olympus Mons. And if you don't remember what that is, that's the name of Phaeton's flagship. Um, One of the things just really quickly too, it's like, again, um, Marcus is like weird, just like weird command issues. He actually objects when JT proposes this. He's like, you know, give me these two squad, other two squads and we'll go like distract them. 
And Marcus is like, you know, says something. He's like, Admiral Winfield. And like, Winfield's like, shut up, Marcus. It's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Yeah, again, just like the adults are talking. It's go, right. go get me coffee. But it's just something. like, why? Like, it's like, oh, you you hate JT. You hate E-frames. Like, it's like, oh, I'm just going to send like three E-frame squads off to probably die. Like, why do you care? Wait, and it's it, it's one of those things where like, if, you, if you're trying to put a good reading on Marcus, maybe he was concerned about losing that many E-frames and soldiers. Maybe. Because, you know, that's a... They, he, I think he even says it. They'll all be killed, mm-hmm. which is probably you know because if they're not on, if they're if they can't, if the E frames can't get back to the exocarriers, then they can't escape right. with the rest of them. Right, they're going to be stuck there. Uh, but uh, Winfield Winfield approves the plan, and these pilots they they muster the courage to just fly straight at Phaeton's flagship and start blasting it. And it's at this point they go back to Phaeton and he's he's on the bridge and we have that what you brought up last time, Lexi, where the rocks are falling off the ceiling of the bridge. Yes. <laughs> and and they bounce off his his e frame because he's always in his e frame. And now I'm like, wait a minute, Phaeton's actually really smart to do that because unlike Admiral Winfield, he's not going to be hurt by a console exploding in his face. <laughs> And none of those rocks can get through his E-frame. Yep. He's, he's, Winfield should be doing this. If you're an important member of the command staff, you should always be in your E-frame. Just walk around, get, sleep in there. Yeah. Get a little bedpan going in that E-frame. Just be safe. Let's get, right. let's get Joe Biden an E-frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he won't be wounded by dangerous things like playing with his dog. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, little little divergence. Um, the, it, you, have you guys watched the new Animaniacs show at all? No, mm-hmm. no. Um, well, so they they obviously make some Trump jokes because it's an easy target, right? right. But like now that Biden's president, which like what are they going to do for those kind of jokes? Are they just going to like be like, oh, what's the pre- what's the president have to say to this? And they're just going to cut over to Biden. He's going to be like sleeping in his chair. I mean. <laughs> I hope yeah. so, because, like, yeah, basically. <laughs> like, or just, like, it's sitting there waiting for Obama to come in for their morning briefing. <laughs> yeah, Ka- Kamala Harris and Obama are just like, it's nap time, Joe. It's right? Just, just, well, it's just like, he'll probably, still, he'll probably be in the Oval Office still thinking that he's vice president. He's like, where's Obama? <laughs> oh, no. Where's, where's my buddy Barry? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, like, shame, but also, yeah. Uh, the, uh... So uh yeah, they they the exo troopers assault the Olympus Mons and <laughs> all of Able Squad survives, but Charlie and Baker Squad get almost annihilated. Right. I think I think we see most of them die. Uh and it was actually really hard to like keep clicking my kill counter button <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> because because there'd be like four people blowing up at once. I'd be like, oh no, I'm falling behind. I'm falling behind. Right, can't my, keep up. My morbid, my morbid death counter. Seriously though, I, I remember there's a kid thinking like when because like when they're when after the battle and it's just Exo Squad and very Able Squad. And I was like, wait a minute, did everyone? Holy shit, everyone else died. Damn. Yeah. Nuts. Like very few, very few of the other people survive. I think it's an over fifty percent kill rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the other squads and i 
I wouldn't personally think that those E-frames were built for re-entry, but apparently they are, and they fly back down to Earth after the rest of the exofleet gets away. Yeah, I was a little bit confused yeah. by that as well, but, you know, again, yeah, whatever. like, like, you know, human beings just walking around in hangers with the door open in space. I'm yeah. willing to let it go. Suspension of disbelief. Well, I definitely, I can definitely see how Maggie's open-air E-frame would uh, survive re-entry. That <laughs> makes complete sense. She's holding her breath, okay? <laughs> it also makes her fireproof. <laughs> Maggie is actually the human torch. Yeah. Um, uh, so the exo the exotroopers fly back down to Earth, and we go back to Phaeton, who is repairing his fleet after the battle. And because of the damage done here, and he's, I think he realizes that these exotroopers being on Earth is going to be a problem. He tells Shiva to step up the labor camps to uh, get them to produce more. And I'm not really sure, like, what they're supposed to be producing. Are they supposed to be making more E-frames? Are they supposed to be fortifying? I guess they could really be doing anything. Yeah, I have and, no idea. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we get we get more of the great mayor of Chicago, who's like, if if he could be on his knees in front of Shiva right now, he definitely would be, um, because like he doesn't he, he I think he realizes now like this is the only way he's gonna survive is to become buddy buddy with the Neo Sapiens. Right. Yeah. He's and, something for Phaeton at this point. Yeah. yeah. Bigly. <laughs> yeah. And, and they rename Chicago Phaeton City, uh, which is good original yeah it's a real good name yeah. <laughs> yeah so when i think when i think of the when i think of the greatest cities in 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 on earth i don't think of chicago like I, it's definitely up there in one of the better like bigger maybe slash better cities in the united states at least but like why not new york why not somewhere else yeah some more important city um, yeah, DC. No. You know, if you're in, if you're gonna like hang out in the U.S., like, why not the center of like American politics? <laughs> like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they just absolutely destroyed all all of the center. No, they don't, because we go back to DC later in the yeah, series. yeah. You see, I was DC. gonna say like, what what if what if he just did a scorched earth and everywhere that was like a capital of a country, he just nuked it right from orbit or something but you see sydney uh, too i guess canberra is the capital yeah. of australia don't want to offend any potential australian listeners How do you, but hang on is canberra the capital of australia i thought it was am i wrong i have no idea i'm not from there uh capital i mean you're kind of from australia. that part of the world yeah it's canberra no, we yeah. have three capitals in my country oh, there you have it look at look at south africa Needs three. Needs three. Yeah, you guys are we have so a parliamentary fancy. capital, an administrative capital, and some other kind of capital that I've forgotten. Uh, or like a, ju a judicial, right? yeah. Or ju capital. Yeah, judicial. Yeah. Well, Can Canberra actually looks really nice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> We're all Googling Canberra right now. Like, oh. It actually, it actually looks like Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Huh. There you go. Weird. It's got, it's, wow, that's actually, I would kind of want to go there now. Yeah. I, I want to go to Australia anyways. Uh, well, here, there you go, everyone. Yeah. You learned what the capital of Australia was, and don't tell me you fucking knew what it was because you didn't. Yeah, I have a PhD. I know this shit. Yeah. <laughs> on is a doctor of Australia. Yeah, apparently now. Yeah, it does kind of. Hey, yeah, it's like almost like a little bit of a mall there, like the National Mall. That's pretty cool, and they have mountains in the background and everything. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah. 
Good job, Australia. Places have moles and mountains. Australia is you know? really. Australia is really pretty. Like I've I've always wanted to go there. Um, I'll see it now before it's all burned to a crisp. Right, oh, too soon. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm sad. Well, uh, <laughs> Remember before <laughs> Corona when we cared about that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, when that was the scary thing that was happening in 2020. It's not still on fire, is it? Uh, don't, don't Google it. It, I don't it get might sad. be on fire again soon because it's going to be like blazing hot summer there. Mm. Oof. Yeah, and I mean, if California's fire season is now year-round, I'm sure Australia's probably is too. We're all going to die, folks. It's great. <laughs> all right, back Yay. to ExoSquad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but, oh, sorry. The, the mayor. Oh, go ahead. Okay, no, I'm skipping ahead. Go ahead with the mayor. <laughs> the the mayor the mayor promises Shiva like thugs, and what is is he just promising him like the bad cops that he knew he had, or does he actually know a bunch of thugs? I mean, it's Chicago. Is there a difference? There's there's some good policemen <laughs> in Chicago, I know, and just... that's what everyone that's what everyone wrote a hate mail campaign to do. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I got in trouble there, Dave. But uh, I mean, it's just Chicago does have a long history of police. But you can cut this if you want. But long history of police gotta, brutality and violence. There's got to be one good police yeah. officer. And also, it's like one. mayor of Chicago. It's like I mean, is there a big difference between the mayor of Chicago and a crime boss, historically speaking? <laughs> like what? I mean, if Rahm, Eman- if Rahm Emanuel, uh, yeah, if Rahm Emanuel is any indicator. Like, no, there isn't. I mean, exactly, right? <laughs> no shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just like kind of yeah. He's just sort of like this. That mayor was anticipating Rahm Emanuel. There you go. What if he was? Yeah. Was Rahm Emanuel a political figure in 1995? I don't think so. I mean, he might have been in the background. I doubt anybody knew who he was, but like, you know, maybe they just like anticipated it without even knowing. He was just, he was just like a local alderman or something, but he was still a thug. Right. (laughs) But that's the, I mean, like Chicago does have that, like that history, right. Of just like, you know, like corrupt political officials and all of that sort of stuff. So it kind of makes sense. Um, and he also like the mayor kind of reminded me of the uh, isn't there? There's like a corrupt mayor in Red Dawn, right? Like in the original Red Dawn, like the mayor of the town or whatever is just like, um, yeah, he's like he's the one that goes drives around in that like convertible Cadillac, and he like just simps for the communists real hard. And I've never actually seen Red yeah, Dawn. Yeah, I mean, you it's watch that. If you'd asked me twenty years ago, but our oh, movie's a classic. Nowadays, it's just like uh, it's kind of whatever. It's dumb, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 it, it's just anti-communist propaganda. Right? I mean, yeah, more or less. Like, I mean, it's kind of a funnish movie about a bunch of teenagers shooting up like army stuff, but like it's yeah, it's mostly just anti-communist propaganda. Weren't there two versions of that movie? Yeah. Like one where Russia invaded and one where North Korea invaded? Right. So the, that one's got a fun story because originally the remake which came out like I think around like 2000 six or so 2007 somewhere and maybe even a little bit earlier than that 2005 but they originally were going to do it with china had been the plan and that was around <laughs> the time that hollywood started realizing that actually the largest movie market in the world is china so they're like uh maybe we shouldn't do the chinese we don't want to alienate them so they went with uh north korea and then tried to sell uh american audiences on the notion of like tiny north korea invading the entirety of the united states yeah, yeah. Like continent-sized country. 
Yeah. Right. A nation of like, totally. I don't know how many people live in North Korea, but it can't be more than 40 or 50 million. Like, it's like, no, that's not happening. Even if literally everyone in the country is in the military, that doesn't work. If a single you person know, I, left North Korea and like it's just wide open while the invasion is happening, right. it's just like abandoned Pyongyang <laughs> and like just came here. You, you know, it, it really, it really was weird because of the time I spent in South Korea, where like, you know, when I was going over there, people would be like, "Oh, are you going to North Korea?" I'd be like, "No, I'm not fucking going to North Korea, <laughs> idiots." Right. And. And then they'd be like, oh, aren't you worried that North Korea could attack at any time? And it actually got to me a little mm. where I was like, I, I don't know. Should I be? And then when I got there, no one gave a shit. Right. <laughs> like, like, if the people living in fucking Seoul don't, aren't like constantly living in fear every day of North Korea being invaded, I don't think I have to fucking worry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess it could happen. But at the same time. No. Right. Well, it's like, what do you what do you do? I mean, if you live there, you spent your whole life there. It's like, you could spend your whole life worrying about a thing that may or may not happen, or you can just get on with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> back to Exos Squad. <laughs> so, come 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 yeah. for the cartoon. Stay for the political conversation. Oh, I mean, that's what I come for. Yeah. Oh. So I don't know if I'm moving on too quickly, but so Exo Squad after the scene with the mayor and Shiva, uh, I don't know if he was anything else you want to discuss there. They land outside of Chicago, but the distance is given in kilometers, and that kind of confused me. I was like, why is this? A oh, I didn't even notice the that. American kids show. It says 18 kilometers outside of Chicago at the beginning of the I next. Think that's season. a common sci-fi trope, though, of like kind of doing like all most sci-fi does away with the standard with standard measurements, right? And like embraces the metric system. Cause I think there's this assumption oh, that sometime in the future Americans will finally be like, yeah, the metric system. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I, I still, I still count like how many hands high people are. I don't even use feet. Yeah, man. I weigh myself in stone and I use cubits. <laughs> like, uh, although i, I am I really like like this again you know we're keep diverting here um but i actually am like a proponent of, of standard measurement because all measurement systems are arbitrary and whether it's a base 10 or our wonky ass system who cares you learn it you learn one one way or the other and it's not that hard to remember that there's eight fluid ounces in a cup there's like you know two cups in a pint you know two pints in a quart four quarts mm -hmm. in a gallon like it's not that hard to remember and our sounds more poetic you know, what, give <laughs> a centimeter, never... take a kilometer sounds terrible. You know, I agree with but... you. It's not very poetic, but that's only because of the American hegemony that has made those phrases like totally normalized. Secondly, I just like I, it doesn't matter how many times you explain it to me. Like I will never remember all of these like four cups in a bucket and all that shit. Like I don't know. That's because you weren't raised. Can't get my system, brain around it. Like, you no, have it. And you learn it, and it's not that difficult. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to break break away from you, my American comrade, and go with what Lexi's saying right there. Because no matter how much I was raised with it, I still have to fucking Google it every time. Seriously, every single time. I'm gonna blame that on a failure of the American education system. Well, uh, that's fair. Blame a lot of things. Like it's just our our shitty education system that's collapsing. Um, more than anything, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> how do I get, you know, uh, I'll, I'll get into my common core rant some other day, how it's good. Remember that people, it's good. 
long awkward pause. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, so 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 Able Squad Able Squad lands uh, eighteen kilometers. Some, how many? Eighteen kilometers. I'll, I'll... So what? That's like it's a little. It's like, like eleven miles and change. Yeah, so not super far away from Chicago. Um, but they find a farm and they, they Maggie is trying to fix the E-frames, but they've been busted up pretty bad. And Peter Tanaka from the Resistance finds them somehow and lands next to them and, based, and takes them into custody. And Peter's super pissed. Yeah. Like, where the fuck were you? Why did you let this happen? Why did we even have an exo fleet? And like, yeah... I get it, but like, is it really warranted? Because everyone knows what happened. Phaeton told them to go after the pirates. They went after the pirates, and then Phaeton attacked. Right. I wonder, I mean, like, I'm trying to think back to some of the earlier episodes, and I feel like there's a few moments where people just kind of, like, wave off the Exo Squad, and they're just kind of like, Ugh, or the Exo Fleet, and they're just kind of like, ah, those guys. And you got to kind of wonder, like, you have this massive fleet, right, that, like, probably sucks up a ton of resources, probably takes in a ton of your tax dollars, not unlike a certain um, country and their military budget in our current era, who will remain nameless, um, and, like, just sucks up, like, all this money that probably could be spent elsewhere and doesn't really do anything because, really, before the Neo-Sapiens attack, like, what, you have some space pirates on the fringes that occasionally, like, attack a freighter here and there, um, and that's it. And you, so, like... I wonder, like, what the kind of attitude, the general attitude, especially among, like, like, kind of working people and average folks, is towards the Exo Squad, or Exo Fleet. And then, once the Exo Fleet, like, gets its, you know, like, now when it's actually needed, like, the Neo-Sapiens are running around, they're, like, nowhere to be found, and then they come back and they get their asses kicked, and then that's that. Like, I mean, maybe. Do you think, do you think maybe that, I, I doubt. I, okay, I was gonna say. Do you think the writers maybe were intending that kind of commentary? Where like, yeah, you can be anti-military all you want, but when shit hits the fan, you want a strong military force on your side. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe. Again, maybe this is just like you know, uh, conflict by numbers. Where like, there was like, let's just inject a little bit of conflict into the scene by making Peter Tanaka really pissed off. I don't know. We should just write to them and be like, listen. You need to listen to all like 50 to 69 or whatever episodes of this podcast that we're doing and then answer all of our questions, please. That's right. That's right. right. Or just, you know, get the funding, do a modern remake and address all of this shit, please. For 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 these, for us three yeah. specifically. Literally no one else may watch your show, but we will. And we'll make another <laughs> podcast about it. Hell yeah. Uh, but uh, so, so. To Tanaka and the Resistance take the Exo Fleet, or the Exo Able Squad specifically captive. We don't know where the other squads went. Did like did they land on another part of the planet? Did they go somewhere else? I just assume uh, they died. <laughs> yeah, they all, none of them survived reentry. I mean, you never hear uh, about them again. I just assumed like they all got shot to pieces and or died. They didn't yeah, know how to hold their breath. Yeah, couldn't. <laughs> They didn't. They didn't have Maggie's encouragement. Uh, all, but they they take uh they take them to their base and they're watching a newscast with, I think her name's. It's not Amanda Waller. That's a that's a DC character. Her name her name is Amanda. Though. Yeah. And she's giving she's giving a newscast, and Napier says something like, 
uh, man, I knew you'd sell out, but not this bad, indicating that those two have maybe some kind of relationship in the past. Uh, And Napier finally meets Able Squad, and he immediately hates Marsala because of because of maybe reasonable reasons uh they've because he's a neo-sapien and he thinks all neo-sapiens are bad and but the newscast they're watching is talking about how every every uh human needs to come and get registered which you know back to that back to that nazi uh symbolism right right? where it's like you need to you need to register so we know where we where you are at all times and where this not wear a symbol, but be branded. For aren't they? Right. Yeah, aren't they putting like five G chips in their arms or something as well? That's right. Yeah, this is Bill Gates' plan. Well, and Bronsky even says something. that's like, oh, you know, anybody can see they're actually just heading into a concentration camp. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, all right, we're just putting that one out in the open. Yeah. Uh, but Napier, Napier kind of butts head with JT, but Marsala, as usual, keeps cools things down and. I think at this point, because this is like the third time you said it, and I'm gonna call it his catchphrase. Napier yells "baloney" <laughs> <laughs> when when JT when JT makes a suggestion or something like that. Uh, which I really I love it when kids shows like can't swear, but they use the uh, the kid ver especially in the '90s because you know back then we at least I was raised as a proper young man to never swear and. <laughs> We, you would use words like baloney, which is obviously just, you know, a fill-in for fuck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, good for your parents. Like, my parents tried that too, and it didn't work, because I still remember the first time I said a swear word, and it was like that inst- instant dopamine hit, and it was all downhill oh, yeah. from there. Right. I mean, my parents <laughs> swear like sailors, or at least they did, and so, like, my mom likes to pretend now. Sorry if you listen to mom, but she likes to pretend now like she's like prim and proper, but she swore like a sailor when I was a kid. I remember getting in trouble and like I was in kindergarten, I think. Some kid like did something to me. I was like, fuck you, dude. And like he would told on me like the like you know, teacher read it out of and everything. I was like, where did you learn this kind of language? It's like from you. She's like, oh, I yeah. learned it by watching you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically. She's like, yeah, I guess you have a point. Don't say that at school. Well, and we have a lot of a lot of our uh, cave on a lot of our mutual friends. Their kids swear a and lot like, when their par- when their teachers come back to them, be like, "Your child is swearing in class." They're like, "Yeah, we know." Yeah, it's like, whatever. <laughs> like, fuck your propriety. Yeah, millennials don't care about your swearing. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, try, I I don't think I ever started swearing in front of my parents until I was like eighteen or twenty. Yeah, like, now it's time. Yeah. Now it's time, Mom and Dad, I'm swearing. Yeah. I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm an adult now. <laughs> I was definitely swearing in school. Yeah. Like I'd be hanging out with you and everyone else, but like, not at home, not at home. And my dad would use soft swear words like, you know, shit, fuck, damn. Or not fuck, like shit, damn, hell, things like that. But that was about it. <laughs> that was uh, that wonderful laugh of his. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah. Bellani, yeah. Bologna. But he's like, I mean, he's uh, like, you know, he's a good old fashioned, like Midwest, like, you know, like square headed, you know, kind of farm boy. So he really does have a square. head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's just like, you know, he probably grew up on a farm somewhere in Illinois. Because apparently that's another thing I like. I love about this is like there's farms 18 kilometers or 11 miles outside of like Chicago. Yeah. In- well, I mean. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how far you have to drive from Chicago for it to get real rural now. But I feel like eleven probably, miles is probably not the case. But 
Yeah, it's that's that seems way too close. Yeah, but maybe they're better at like land management and like urban development in the future. Yeah, maybe they've got those cool farms with like the spiral things mm. where you can farm like ten times as much stuff in the in the amount of space that you can now. Hell yeah. Um, that would be really cool. You don't really see anything like that, but um, yeah, the the resistance decides. Okay, we're gonna attack this registration. And they do a fantastically terrible job at it. But the one, the the, the few things I noticed about this scene, like everyone is dressed in rags. Yes. Uh, I feel like I feel like if you're doing a, a propaganda thing, you want the people in your propaganda to appear at least like not destitute. Right. It'd be like get a bunch of people like dressed up in suits and like forcing a giant smile while they're getting the chip injected. It'd be like, I love the Neo Sapien Order. <laughs> Give a big thumbs up. Right. Um, but the they they fuck up this attack and they get easily defeated. And this is you know my I always love it when someone yells death to collaborators because <laughs> you know I may not I may not be a violent person, but. Death to collaborators. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they get they they lose two people in the battle in the in the fight there, and it's really fast. Uh, and they go back to their resistance base, and Napier's like, "Oh shucks, I don't think we could do this." But JT gives them a pep talk. Yeah. And and they he's like, "I have a plan," but his plan is to attack this rally. And we have no indicator beforehand that this rally is going to happen, how JT knows about it, <laughs> or like how JT knows that the, there's going to be a sh- there's going to be the things there that he needs, because he's like, okay, I've got an idea. We're going to give people hope, but we're able squads also going to reconnect with the Exo fleet while we're giving people hope. And there's a lot of things that had to fall into place for this plan to work. Yeah. yeah. Again, probably overthinking it. The writers were just like, whatever, yeah. children don't know. They don't know what the <laughs> yeah. fuck's going on. They'll Shut up, kids. You can't understand complicated plot threads. <laughs> you just want to see shit explode, which was true at the time. <laughs> You're stupid, eight-year-old. Shut up. Um, right. Well, and I feel like there was like a, that was like a common theme in a lot of like fiction from that time period, from the 80s into the early 90s, of like the like ragtag Wiley resistance group, like, storming in and like seizing some center of communications and broadcasting a message of resistance out to the people and stuff like running man and stuff like that. I think like, I feel like that's a, um, that was just like a common trope during the time period. So just like, remember seeing it as a kid and just thinking like, Oh yeah, like this of course is like, this is what you do. Like if you're a resistance group, you have to seize the broadcast center and then broadcast to the people. That's how you do resistance. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Cause now we have hashtag resistance and you just go onto Facebook and broadcast. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to seize the and means that's, of resistance. That's, that's how we defeated fascism in America. Yeah, yeah, we got we got Joe Biden, the the most left politician in history, by just doing <laughs> hashtag resistance constantly. It's a bright future ahead of us, guys. A golden day is. Uh, it's morning in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's Biden's morning. Now. Oh God, yeah. What time of day is it? Um. Oh, wow. I did want to say though quickly, like so. JT's little pep talk to Napier is that when they, when the Earth Resistance went in to attack this like concentration camp, five G chipping facility, um, they were like, "Join the resistance! Join the resistance!" Which, you know, I don't know, has echoes of just like sometimes certain kinds of leftist activism where they're just like beating you over the head, like 
join the resistance yeah. and everyone's just staring at them wide-eyed like what the fuck are you talking about i'm literally being dragged into a concentration camp right now <laughs> yeah. but jt makes a really good point which is that like well why would they join if they don't have hope like if they don't think that things can get better or if they don't think that we can right. defeat you know the neo-sapiens like why would they join you um you know and so that's why like that's the reasoning for this broadcast of the hashtag resistance is that if we show them that we can defeat or you know use our wits and our like uh ingenuity to basically like trick the neo sapiens or do this or that or disrupt their communications uh that might give people the hope to join us and i think it's actually a really clever plan and it also like in a maybe i'm giving the writers too much credit i hope not but i think there's a subtle like uh, contrast with the destiny narrative right it's like hmm. if phaeton and the neo sapiens it's all about like racial destiny what jt's proposing here is something else it's about hope and like bringing people right. into a movement which again maybe i'm just overreading or like reading into this too much but i think it's a really interesting uh contrast well it's it it's it's the whole idea like you you have to you have to give some kind of unified message for people to get behind if you want people to do anything right right Right, which is not not a not a common theme that was explored in children's cartoons back then. Right, like yeah, there was the whole like hope and friendship will overpower all, but like you do need you do need to actually get people to fight if you have to fight. Right, right, and it's like and that sense of like you know you have to build that sense of hope and you have to have like like an actual like program that looks like it's going to work, you know. You know, you have to actually be able to be seen as someone that can, like, strike your power effectively and do something, right? It's not just like, oh, you kicked on the door of, like, one registration center of God knows how many in this mega city of the future. But instead, you're, like, directly striking at, like, Phaeton and, like, kind of really sticking your finger in his eye and making him look like a fool and stuff. Like, it's something, it's like, and it's, in the show's kind of terms, like, it's, like, actual meaningful action instead of stuff. And I don't, not saying, like, I'm not, I don't want the NSA to construe this as me, like, calling for terrorism or anything. <laughs> I really don't want to line up in, like, Guantanamo or something. I am Middle Eastern. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, meaningful action as opposed to just these, like, kind of empty symbolic gestures. Yeah. It, it, the one the one funny thing I thought of, like, when he, when Napier's head shows up on that big viewfinder, or that big screen, was, was, for some reason I was thinking, like, he kind of looks like Max Headroom. It's <laughs> fantastic. For, for, our young, for our younger viewers, Max Headroom was this weird uh, advertising tool that, like, Coca-Cola and a bunch of other things used. And it was, like, this guy with... Uh, with a flat top blonde haircut and he was constantly like glitching out while he was on the camera. He'd be like, bye, c c coke Like. That sounds like a dystopian kind of like nightmare. That. Like I've never seen this oh, before. Oh, it was. And I'm it looking at it right now was. and it's terrifying. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, Max uh, Headroom was kind of the moment, you know, really it was like in the 1980s and then really like, it, it, which I think it was the moment when the U.S. really became a dystopia and Max Headroom was sort of, you have to find a turning point moment. It's like, oh, this like weird 3D digitally created CGI like guy with Tourette's is like screaming at me to buy Coca-Cola. That's so weird. Sorry, I'm just Googling it and like, apparently yeah. it's British firstly. And secondly, it was introduced oh, in was 1985. It? Um, 
And again, I'm just looking at images of it, and it's like, this is straight out of Black Mirror. Like, this is... Yeah. Like, Charlie Brooker definitely had nightmares about this, and then got writing. Yep. <laughs> no, uh, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, <laughs> so Max Headroom gives a, gives a speech about hope. <laughs> and, hope and buying Coke uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> buy, buy hope and Coke. Um, and uh, one of... A couple things about like so fate is we, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Phaeton is holding this rally. Um Napier, his resistance, and Marsala kind of like subterfuge their way into the control room of this rally. Mm-hmm. And one of the things one of the things I loved about the scene was Marsala takes a uniform, but then when he gets to the control room, he like holds up a CD. He's like, I've got my orders here. And they're like, oh, okay. He seems legit. Let him in. Yeah. <laughs> and just CDs being an artifact of, you know, a di- a long a long past time now uh, makes it even funnier. Right. And it was and, a cutting edge, too. That was a cutting edge technology at the time. It was. Right? Like, 1993, like, if you got a game on a CD, if you got a computer game on a CD, you knew that shit was going to be good. Yeah. 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 It's like the guy in the control room who opens the little hatch in the door and sees, you know, Marsala with the CE. He's like, oh, he's got on Carter 95. Let him in, let him in. <laughs> I'll finally be able to figure out what the capital of Australia is. <laughs> that, that would have been the only way to do it, too. Right, right. <laughs> I would have had to go to a library and look at a map. Oh, oh. It's like, wait, throw that thing in the CD-ROM. Uh, but so when they when they take over this control room, Napier's or Marsala saves Napier's life from a guard who like sneakily picks up a gun and tries to shoot him, and then they just let everyone from the control room go. Yeah. And I guess these guys just run away. I guess. <laughs> like, don't tell. Don't tell anyone or get help. Just fucking run. Right. And it's like that's. I mean, I guess like. As much as the show does like kill people on screen constantly, I feel like just executing hostages might be a step too far for like a kid's show. It's like, what? well, especially especially for Marsal, yeah, uh, because like he he doesn't want to kill anyone, but I feel like he really doesn't want to kill any Neo Sapiens. No, of course not, um, because he is a Neo Sapien, yeah. and because of his past, you know, he he's he's still he's still part of that part of that family, for lack of a better yeah. term. Um, and I think he genuinely believes in the cause of Neo Sapien liberation, just not in the way that fate like he see he I think he correctly sees where Phaeton's path leads. And like but he's still at the same time like that's what he is here for, first and foremost, is Neo Sapien liberation. Yeah. The other thing I love about this whole sequence of events is the 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 animation of the faces in the crowd at the rally. Oh, yeah. Like if you if you look at it just like the people look like they're they're just slack jawed and wide eyed looking <laughs> upward like oh right. it it really it really makes you appreciate like um I'm I'm really big into Futurama and one of the things one of the tools they created specifically for that show was basically a um graphic mod for things like you know whatever animating tool they were using back for that show to spray in crowds hmm. Oh, that's cool. And it, like it would it would randomly choose their features from like a big set of things to make it look like the crowd had almost all unique people. Oh, in wow. It. Yeah, imagine like that 
imagine how much time a tool like that saves versus this show where there's some poor dude who probably had to draw all those faces in like the span of a day right the c the c team animation there's already like a very clear b team this is like the poor c team yeah uh so the in the middle of the rally napier's face shows up and then able squad attacks and they just start like corralling people across the field with their guns which looks really funny when they're doing it, but at the same time, you also see Bronte specifically shoot missiles into a group of Neo-Sapiens. And, <laughs> and, like, obviously those guys are dead, and they zoom in on Bronsky's face, and it's like, he's just like, yep, that's my job. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, Just, like, before we move on, though, can we... I don't know if you noticed this, but when Phaeton is giving his speech, like right before Napier's face appears on the screen, I don't know if they'd originally written like a different script that was then changed, but the animation and what he's saying don't really match up. Like he's just, he's like putting his arms in the air at various points and you're like, okay, cool. But there's a point where he actually says, um, I can't remember all the lines, but like, Phaeton's basically saying earth is ours, but he's shaking his head like in a no gesture. Um, I don't know. It's like such a little detail, but for me, it really stood out. I was like, I I don't understand your body language and what you're saying here do not match up. And it's really weird to watch. So there's some kind of really weird Roman oration where he's just like doing all these strange poses and gestures and like. And that's that 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 just speaks to, you know, animation's fucking hard. And if you screw if you screw up a character's like body framing versus what they're actually saying it really is easy to see and you're just kind of like this doesn't match up yeah. and it takes you out of the moment a lot yeah like like you're saying lexi hit um but then they shoot the neo sapiens <laughs> yeah and then, and then they just start shooting up neo sapiens and all the humans in there too because there are a bunch of regular yeah. people in that on that field which is soldier field i think that's what it's called. i think i think it's soldier um, from chicago yeah yeah, Phaeton actually takes a guard's gun and starts shooting at them. And I noticed this for the first time. Like, the Neo Sapien guns are really weird looking. Like, they look almost alien. And I'm wondering, like, did they do that for design purposes? Or is that just like. <laughs> Obviously, they're overthinking it. But maybe, like, that's how Neo Sapiens. Like, that's the perfect organ- ergonomic uh, shape for a gun for a neo sapien is that kind of alien look they do like actually if you look at some of the small arms that the neo sapiens carry around in the previous episodes they do have these like funny grips and handles and stuff which is like i actually remember thinking during the scene when like uh napier takes that gun from marsala and like marsala like the marsala's like oh that'll complete my disguise and napier's holding him like can he actually even hold that because they're designed real weird because the neo sapiens have those funny hands there's like weird four fingered well, hands, and it's like they're if you look at how they grip their guns, it's like this really different. It's not like how we would hold it with an opposable thumb. It's like a Neo Sapien pistol is is so big and it has those three finger prongs, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That, like, I picture like Napier having to hold like one <laughs> hand of the top prong and one hand on the bottom right. one, and maybe there's two triggers. And he has to be like, eh, eh. it's like a grip, it's like a climbing grip exercise <laughs> machine. He's just like, he has to pull them both at the same time, and it's really <laughs> awkward. Exactly. Oh. Uh, the, the so the attack the attack goes on. Um, Phaeton Phaeton is ushered away by uh, the Shiva and Typhonus who are there, and so he survives this battle. Um, Able Squad steals 
Phaeton's shuttle and gives their E-frames to the Resistance. But there's too many E-frames for the Resistance fighters. Uh, and he says, you know, Napier says, thanks for the E-frames. And JT's like, we'll be back. And they fly away. And the Resistance flies away in their E-frames. And then the other E-frames are set to explode. Yep. Kill, presumably killing everyone at Soldier Field. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, uh, and this is, this is kind of the end of the first story arc of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, as you kind of mentioned, like, it goes by, they cram a lot into these first five episodes. Yeah. And it's funny, like, what, coming back and rewatching this as an adult, there were, like, all these story arcs that I, I had thought took, like, episodes to develop. And, like, I was like, oh, this is going to, like, happen over several episodes. Like, wait, they crammed all this into one. And I feel like, I mean, I think, like, your your sense of time changes as you get older. And when I was younger, it felt like these episodes, like, went on for longer and that these stories like unfolded over a lot more time. Um, and I was surprised by how fast stuff happens on this show. And I think it's like, I, I wonder if like part of that is like this sense of like, Oh, they're cramming a lot. Like, as I see you having your notes here that like the setup for the resistance goes by really fast. I wish it would have been two or three episodes of buildup. It's like, well, I kind of wonder like as a kid, did it make sense? It was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like this is just, yeah. Like, because of our sense of time as children, like, okay, that made more sense to do it that way. Because I don't remember it seem, seeming like it went by really quickly. Yeah, I feel like as a kid, if it did take too long, I would have lost interest. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Part, part of the reason why I think that, you know, we, I've mentioned this a few times in the earlier episodes, they switch back and forth so many times in this cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like, more so than I really remember any other cartoon doing. Right. Um, which probably leads to a lot of fucking work for background artists and character artists and everything. Like, it, it's it's good, and at the same time, as an adult, I wish there was more to it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I think, like, as an adult, you can like, kind of come to re- appreciate both, like, how much of a rich text this is and then how much more. Because it's so rich, I think it opens up so many more questions and ideas and things that you like now as an adult with a more complex sense of like narrative you like want i want it's like okay well you've like gestured all this stuff like i want more like i want to know like i want to know more about napier's background i want to see this like tension between the exo squad and and the people who like and the resistance and the people who survived the sapien occupation like i want all this stuff to be developed yeah you know because it is such a rich text i want my winfield nurse slash like yeah fuck yeah dog Oh man! Now I'm just trying to. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't start picking. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should. <laughs> Getting weirdly hot over here. Uh, uh, this this could be a this could be like a separate episode or a mini sode. But I did actually look a while back. I think I mentioned to you, Dave. I found there is a little bit of um, squad slash fiction, but we can get into that later. As that this particular relationship between these two people develops uh but i'm kind of interested like i really want to read <laughs> just like the little bit yeah, of feel, a little bit I, of exo squad fan fiction that's out there i feel like we need to dedicate an episode to it i feel i feel like i feel like while we're doing this podcast we need we need two or three special episodes like a user feedback episode or two uh a or a listener feedback not user feedback jesus <laughs> Christ, don't be your job dave don't be your job uh <laughs> The uh, uh, so a, a listener feedback episode, a fan fiction review episode, 
and uh, like a like a special streaming episode of uh, of the video game. I feel feel that would be a pretty good pretty good range of things to do to just kind of break up the monotony of just talking about what's going on in the show. Yeah, um, I'm here for it. But but yeah, so this is the end. This is the end of the first story arc, the fall of the human empire. And on episode six, we'll start up a new one. I don't remember the title of it, but we'll talk about that later. And that covers episode five. Yeah. Uh, last time we lost the the plug part, and Lexi, you finally had something to plug. Do you want to do you want to plug that again this time? Yes, I have something to plug because I realized that uh, I need to have a hobby that is not just being an academic. Uh, so yeah, I started painting miniatures. Uh, also thanks to a mutual friend of Kayvon and Dave's. And I started an Instagram account called hold me closer underscore tiny painter, uh, where you can see pictures of my miniatures and occasionally awkward pictures of me with my miniatures. <laughs> so, uh, and now you're new if you're, nerd and you're into that shit, like check it out. <laughs> oh, wait, did, are you showing off your haircut uh, in there? Uh, yeah, actually I have like a short video. I think I posted yesterday of just me painting. Cause I wanted to see, Oh God, I look really serious. Like I'm squinting so hard at that little, owl bit that i'm working on right now uh yeah but you can see my undercut in a nice video nice uh, take a look at that um i don't uh, cave you have anything to plug this nothing week? i am kind of just taking yeah. a bunch of time off now that i'm done with my phd to play video games so that sounds i can't whenever you get the stuff you want to play like multiplayer like if you start to get into Dark Souls and you need a Dark Souls buddy, you tell me. Uh, I'm gonna at some point I'm gonna pick up a PS4. So because I'm really behind, uh, I'm an entire generation console wise behind. So <clears throat> at some point I'm gonna pick up a PS4 and play Dark Souls three because uh, I am aching to do that. So yeah, we should do that for sure. Currently I'm playing a, a, a 20 year old video game that I started playing my first year out of high school and am apparently still playing for whatever reason. Dark Age of Camelot for you life. You bet, you bet, man. It's not. I'm not even playing the original. Dark. It's like a free shard somewhere, but it's still fun. Nice, nice. Uh, I don't have anything to plug, but the uh, except for the Patreon for the for the show and the network. If anyone wants to support this show, um, go to Patreon.com/slash/emnetwork, and you'll find us there. Excellent. But any any support is good share share the show with your friends give us ratings and reviews subscribe all that social media stuff and uh yeah we really appreciate everyone listening and we'll see you all later yep Yay. thanks Thank guys <laughs> Bye-bye. bye bye